0: open up your Bible to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 right towards the very end. We're going to be going from verse 17 and into the first five verses of chapter 3. We're going to be continuing our series on it and, and, and this series has been entitled, How You Ought to Walk. Because in the book of 1 Thessalonians we have so many great and grand and pure examples for activity, for life as a Christian, and and for ministers even, for elders, for pastors, and and missionaries. So we saw that it opened up in chapter 1 with the introduction of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And those three were the men who, on their missionary labor, went throughout uh, Asia, uh, through to Macedonia, and down through Greece on their second missionary journey of Paul. And we saw that in the midst of that, they planted the Thessalonian church, but has later written back to them with with joy, with love, with commands on how they, as Christians, remember, not saved more than six months, any one of them, all of them either out of a a, a, a Jewish, a a, a hard Jewish religious life, or out of a, a lawless, sinful, pagan culture of Thessalonica, They've come together in the church and now being quite young in the faith and losing their apostle because of persecution, they now need instruction on what that life in Christ should be looking like for anyone, for everyone. But as he's gone on, so he in chapter one he showed us that the purity and the manner with which he preached the gospel with his uh, compatriots, you know, Silas and Timothy. He showed us the purity and the power of their gospel message and that being the cause of the Thessalonians' salvation, being born again, church planted, because of the power and their ministry among them. We then saw that the effect that the gospel has in people, repentance from dead works, waiting for Jesus Christ in heaven, a turning from idolatry and a labour of love to each other. We then also saw in chapter 2 that Paul had to defend his own ministry. So for the first 12 verses, he's he's defending the fact that that, that there have been many accusations since Paul left, accusations against his personality, his character, the purity of their mission, the motives he had in coming there. And he has to write back and and defend his ministry, and he does, chapter 2, 1 through 12. Say, we were speaking from God, sent by God, the words of God, that's why you, this church are in existence as you are today. And then he goes on from 13 to 16, explaining that, that the uh, and, and really commending or praising God, that the Thessalonians, amid all of the affliction, the persecution from the Jews, they still flourished as Christians. Receiving the word of God, holding it, believing it to be the very words of God, did not let it go and persevere through that affliction. Well, now we pick up in verse 17 of chapter 2. And this is Paul still someone defending his own motives, his own actions. You'll remember that he was, he left. Thessalonica in a great rush, while they were there preaching and teaching and planting the church and building it up and seeing many saved, what happens is that there is a riot stirred up by the jealous Jews. And they, because of the riot, because of their false accusations, they have Paul, Silas and Timothy. They run them out of town. And because of that, because they left quickly, the accusation has come. well, they left is they don't care. They left in the middle of the night because they, they they started with you guys, lost interest, and left. So so don't listen to their message. The, the accusations are coming. Well, Paul starts to write, and actually, what we see here is the heart of a pastor, a heart of a missionary, the heart of Paul, Timothy, and Silas. And we also see the necessity of affliction in the Christian life, and we'll read together. Verse 17 through to chapter 3, verse 5, and we will uh, preach after that. Verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For For you yourselves know that we were destined for this, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labour would be in vain." May God bless us and may God bless you as we read and expound his holy, inerrant, pure, divine word to us. Well, I'm going to look at tonight just a, a recap of the history of Paul's missionary journey uh, to do with Thessalonica. Then we're going to look at the afflictions of Paul and then look at the afflictions of Christians. First of all, I, I want to just recap, give you the, the historical reality of what was happening behind this text because Paul's explaining some of what happened, so I want to make it clear so that you can, you have that timeline in your head, and then we can look at what he really teaches then and teaches us. So, first of all, we need to remember that, that Paul came on the on the uh, uh, on the on the eastern highway from that ran from Rome through to the Eastern world, he came on that highway preached in Philippi was persecuted there thrown in prison he was then uh, upon leaving there he came down to Thessalonica down the highway a bit preached there then as as a as a riot was built up and, and he they, they they hid from that riot and and the the the, the Christians that hid him uh, made a promise to the governing authorities that, that they would not return probably the promise was that paul would not return on threat of Jason's life, one of the Christians there. He entered into this contract, it seems, from the history of Acts. Then, they they went down further south, they landed in Berea, and they did the same thing, preached the gospel, saw converted souls, were in the midst of planting a church, when the Jews from Thessalonica came down to Berea as well, stirred up a riot, so that again, Paul and his, uh, Paul had to be uh, whisked away in order to keep him safe, but he left Timothy and Silas there. Then he went, he, he went further down south to uh, to the uh, coastline and took a large, long, windy boat ride to Athens. In Athens, he preached. That's where we get the Areopagus. Uh, you know his sermon on Mars Hill. He he is there. He is then shortly after rejoined by Timothy and Silas. But because his heart is so, so anxious for the Christians up in Thessalonica and Philippi, he has not heard from since he left them in such a rush, his heart is breaking. He sends them both, Silas and Timothy, back up into Macedonia. Silas to Philippi and Timothy to Macedonia. Paul then goes from Athens to the the city of Corinth, where he continues preaching and teaching, establishing a church as was his custom. And there, Timothy and Silas rejoin him. And it's there that he hears the great and good news of the Thessalonians' perseverance and growth in the gospel. It's from Corinth. That Paul then writes the letter and sends it back to the Thessalonians to answer some questions, answer the accusations, and give them encouragement in how they ought to walk. That that's what happens. Uh, that's what that's the timeline that Paul is talking about. When he said uh, that, when I was chapter three verse one, we were, I was willing to be left behind at Athens. We sent to Timothy. So that's that's the timeline. That's the brief recap. But I want to look now at the afflictions of Paul. Because the afflictions of true missionaries, true ministers, all soul winners are many. I want to look at Paul's example to us and any who would be soul winners, pastors, missionaries and ministers. First of all, let's look at, at the mistreatment of Paul. Verse 17 tells us that uh, Paul's recap, when he says, since we were torn away from you, brothers. He was torn away. This is a, this is a mistreatment of an apostle. He has called himself already in this uh, epistle. He's, he said that when we were among you, we were like a mother. When I was among you, I was like a father. Now he's calling them brothers and saying that he's been torn away. This heartbreaking mistreatment of spiritual family members. This was common to Paul, right? When we saw this back in Acts chapter sixteen, back in Philippi. Okay, and I'll I'll quickly read a little bit. In Acts sixteen, when he was in Philippi preaching and teaching, the the thing happened. The same thing happened there as ends up happening to him in Thessalonica. But in Philippi, the crowd joined in attacking Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Not only is this terrible affliction, pain and persecution, this is also illegal and shameful treatment of Paul because he is a Roman citizen. It's illegal for him to be treated with such contempt without a trial. So this is all just to show Paul was mistreated on his mission in Philippi. And then it happens again when he comes to Thessalonica. Right, Verse 5 tells us of chapter 17 he encountered him among the Thessalonians. But the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men from the rabble they formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, where Paul was staying, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. So again, they're being falsely accused before the city magistrates, a riot stirred up, and then being sought to be thrown from the city. And so from there he had to flee. He was, as verse 17 tells us in chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, We were torn away from you, brothers. But it doesn't stop there, because as he goes down to Berea, those Jews, as we recounted before, follow him there and persecute him more. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 17. But when the Jews from Thessalonica heard that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea Berea also, they came there too. Agitating and stirring up the crowds. What Paul has to be used to on his missionary journey as a servant of God is severe mistreatment. He deserved none of that. Being a minister of the eternal gospel, of eternal salvation from the eternal God in Jesus Christ, he should be be blessed, he should be received with love and thankfulness, as Romans 10 says, how how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But that was how Jesus was treated, wasn't it? With contempt when he should have been praised. With murder when he should have been worshipped. And so it is for his his ministers, those who carry the gospel, that this is no surprise. So so he suffered severe mistreatment, but he also suffered abandonment, and I want to show you that most of these are are voluntary abandonment amidst a difficult situation. Let's look. He's been mistreated, but also he is abandoned often on on this missionary journey, and, and all of his missionary journeys. Back in Philippi, back in Acts chapter 16, he had to leave prematurely. Okay, he, he was thrown in that prison, God uh, uh, sent an earthquake that enabled them to be uh, uh, convert the jailer, speak to him and then be released, but they were only given a short time to go and visit the other Christians and then leave the city. And so this is not what was on Paul's timeline. He had much that he wanted to teach them, much that he wanted to develop in them, and yet what he was forced to do with Timothy and Silas is visit the Philippine Christians Quickly, and then with tears, bid them goodbye and leave. He had, he was abandoned. He was ripped from his family that he had just seen born. It goes on because when he goes to Thessalonica, as we've somewhat covered, he gets there and after being uh, after being chased by the Jews and a riot is stirred up in the night. Paul and Timothy and Silas are rushed away in the midst of the night. Immediately, the text says. So that unlike Philippi, they didn't even have time to go and regather the Christians together, encourage them, give them their parting words and encouragements and leave. They just had to flee. Remember in Philippi, they'd been so badly beaten, they would not be in health to receive another beating at the hands of a mob. Of the Jewish mother with all the wicked people in the city, they were not going to survive that. They had to flee. Heartbroken. They're ripped from their family without even a goodbye. And in Berea, the same thing happens: another abandonment. They are, when 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 the when it is stirred up by the Thessalonian Jews in Berea, they again, the text says, immediately left. They immediately took Paul and sent him away to the coast to be shipped off while Timothy and Silas hid. He is constantly abandoned, but then it becomes voluntary, a sacrifice that he makes. In Athens, Acts chapter 17 shows us, that he travels alone without his brothers. That, that would have been a choice by Paul. We'll leave Timothy and Silas here. The Marines need more help. I will go, and that will defuse the situation. He, he goes alone. He travels alone. He arrives in Athens alone. He preaches the gospel there amid persecution and being mocked alone. And then finally, when Timothy and Silas do come to him with the love that he has for the Macedonian Christians in Philippi and Thessalonica, he doesn't hold on to Timothy and Silas in his loneliness, in his heartbrokenness. He meets them again and sends them back to Philippi and Thessalonica. A voluntary abandonment for the good of the church. And so uh, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2 show us that. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens and he's talking about himself there, alone. And we, we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker. That's a man you want to stay with you. A co-worker of God in the gospel. That's a great high title to his brother, Timothy, who was his protege, his apprentice. His disciple, he calls him a brother, a servant of God, right? a co-worker with God, and it's that man that Paul is willing to be separated from. Missionaries, ministers, faithful churches, we often have to send away our best men, or some among them, when we want to keep them and, and sort of hoard it and grow our own knowledge and health and safety and protection. In this church, we have to be willing to let go and send So that the hungry souls in the world that do not have the privileges we have, can have sound teaching, gospel preaching, and good, solid men. Paul sent his brother, Timothy, away. He believed that it was worth it to strengthen the Thessalonians. And then it's not until later in Acts chapter 18, back over in Corinth, that it's finally read. Uh, reconciled with his brothers, so abandonment was one thing he was constantly used to. Also, anxiety. We saw his mistreatment, abandonment, and constant anxiety. Now, I know we just heard from Vic this morning on on that we as Christians need to be anxious for nothing for ourselves, and yet we see Paul an anxiety that is godly, an anxiety that is fitting. For a minister of the gospel. And anxiety is fitting for parents as they care, if you care, about your children. There is always a, a concern for the health, safety, to, to hear that your child is, is at a risk of death. To feel completely at peace, joyful, and not to care is not the kind of anxiety-free living the Bible talks about. There are appropriate moments of concern. Heart-rending anxiety for the good of others. Not a distrust in God, but a love for others. And so, we see, even in our text today, right? Paul says in verse 17, that we were torn away from you, uh, in chapter two, for a short time, in person, not in heart, right? He's showing, my heart was still with you in Thessalonica. And he says over and over again, these emphatic words, we endeavored, right? We tried hard, the more eagerly, with great desire to see you face to face. He's saying we tried to come back over and over and over again because we greatly desired to. Now, now, that word, greatly desired, it can otherwise be translated as lust, right? That sinful sexual want of other people's flesh. And Paul is using that word, not in an evil sense, but the same word to show his, his desperation. He so badly wanted to be with them again. His heart was anxious for them. He says in chapter 3 verse 1, What well, we could bear it no longer? These are heart-rending words that show us behind the scenes that he is at breaking point, that he was even willing to be left completely alone because that pain is less than not knowing how his Christians, back in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, are doing. He has a heart anxiety for them. And again in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, When we could bear it no longer, I sent to hear about your faith. This just shows us all these languages they're just really getting to the heart of the fact that 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 uh, of the fact that what 2 Corinthians chapter 11 tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 through to verse 28 we see Paul's account of his sufferings as a an apostle and a minister of Christ he lists them he says I am t- uh, uh, I had halfway through verse with far greater labours, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Often near death. Five times I received in the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from both brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and in thirst, often without food often without food in cold and exposure this is a list of his suffering for the good of churches but listen to how he caps it all off as he's built this pyramid of suffering for the good of churches what's the capstone what's on top of everything else verse 28 and apart from other things there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the Churches. Paul, worse than the beatings, worse than being adrift in the ocean for a day and a night, is the pain of the anxiety for the health of the Churches he has planted. This is parental anxiety. Loving anxiety. He cares for them and cannot bear to think, as verse 5 of chapter 3 tells us, that the tempter, Satan, would have come along and snuffed out that light that he had labored so faithfully to produce. He loved these people. And anxiety goes hand in hand with genuine care. Then he also had, right? It's not, it's not open. Yet. He also had, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, opposition from Satan. The enemy of enemies. Over and above the Jews, over and above the Romans, over and above any Gentile kingdom is behind them. The enmity, evil, accusing, sinful, murderous at heart, Satan that spiritual reality, that person, that being, that supernatural attacker, Satan. Paul was often the target of Satan, and and here in verse 18, we're showing that he was continually frustrated in his plans. Continually frustrated in his plans to see the Thessalonians by Satan. Now then there's a a bit of a question we could ask here, why? Why is it Paul, in this text, blames Satan for his affliction, for his difficulty. When, went other places, even back in Acts chapter 16. He says, the Holy Spirit stopped us from going through Asia. Or the Holy Spirit told us not to go here or there. And, and yet here he's saying, Satan did it. Well, maybe, maybe he was at such a level of discernment, Such a level of knowledge with Jesus Christ that he was able to know when something was not of Jesus. Maybe, as an apostle, he had received a prophetic word telling him why this was uh, uh, coming against him. We don't know, but ultimately, Satan was attacking Paul, as he does to every person who ministers for the gospel in a self-sacrificing, great commission, zealous-focused way. Here's what he says Satan was doing to him. That as he was trying again and again and again to come and see them, Satan hindered us. Now now the the word there, the the word behind what we get as the English, Satan hindered us, is this Greek word that was actually a military word. It's a military tactic to, it actually technically means chopping up the road. Satan chopped up the road to you. What it means is that it's referring to back in the military days. One of the ways that the Romans would would engage in warfare is if they were drawing back from an enemy line, or they were in uh, they were being pursued by an enemy army, maybe barbarians or whatever it be. They're pulling back. What they would do is when the last of their troops, chariots, and horses have come over a certain road, maybe narrowing in the road. They would engage in in deconstruction. They would break up those roads. They would leave large divots and moats and destructive uh, 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 damage in that road so that no one would be able to then pass. The enemy army would be in pursuit, come to it, not be able to pass over it with their horses, their carriages, and their chariots. And Paul is saying that's that's what Satan did to us. We kept making efforts to come genuine efforts. But Satan somehow in, in his crafty ways kept this teacher of the word from his hungry children. Satan was opposing Paul. Something he, he had to get used to, though something you really can never get used to. Again and again, frustrating and annoying. I, I want to take this moment as we come towards the close of of, uh, of our text I want to speak a moment to to the soldiers among us. Those who would, maybe in your current efforts, maybe you you have over yourself a a calling from God that is to be a pastor, a preacher of the word, a carer of the flock, a missionary to a foreign nation. And my constant prayer is that there would be those among us who will rise up, lay their life on the altar of God, and Go to a people group who have no gospel witness. In this moment, there are still over 7,400 people groups in the world that do not have enough Christian witness among them to be considered rich. There's no indigenous growth of Christianity happening in that country in that people group, that tribe, that that nation, that tongue, using biblical language. There are millions, in fact, billions of people today who don't even know what the word Jesus means, who have no sense of light, of life, or of truth, or of love from their Creator God. Who, if the world was to end tonight, would be swept into an everlasting destruction, justly and fairly, and yet the responsibility would would be left on us that we could have gone, we could have proclaimed, we could have sacrificed and gone through all that Paul was willing to go through, never a smooth ride. Abandonment, affliction, whippings, beatings, anxieties. Opposition from Satan himself, yet a people group turning to Christ, naming him as Lord and living under that Lordship. Gospel believers, Christ's kingdom established in another part of this world. His glory will be all over the face of the earth, but it is entrusted to us by his Spirit to take it there. I want to speak to those who would maybe be those missionaries, maybe be future pastors, maybe be future mothers and fathers who would raise up children to know and love the Lord. Maybe to those who who will be future children's ministers, youth pastors, evangelists on the street, whatever it may be, to those who wish to give their life. For those of us who who are not willing, who cannot stand the thought of, of ending your life Coming to the end of your time here on earth and looking behind you and seeing no one in your train. Being like like those in the Old Testament, those women who who would come to the temple for the celebrations and have no children to bring with them. That that curse of barrenness in the Old Testament is shadowed as, as being spiritually barren in the New Testament. This New Age We should feel weight, responsibility, heaviness of heart if we come to the worship of God in the end time without anybody who has us to thank for preaching to them the gospel. I want to speak to those of us who wish to bring others with us to heaven. I want to say you must be willing. You must be willing to suffer mistreatment and slander. Even physical bruising, persecution, physical attack, of course. But really, in in the world that we're at, at least at the moment, we need to be willing to suffer through emotional slander, verbal, workplace surroundings. We need to be willing to go through that first before really suffering the physical uh, attacks. Though it will come, we need to start probably more realistically in our culture. You must be willing to suffer mistreatment and slander as Paul did. It is God's test. Do the people who you're trying to win to Christ do they matter to you as much as they should? As God puts in every great love story, right, an obstacle in the way, right? The the guy wants the gal, but there's something to overcome. So, in this way, God does among soul winners and the souls he seeks to win, the souls she seeks to bring to Christ. There will always be obstacles, mistreatments, attack against your character and your person, and you need to be willing to push through them and show God these people will work the blood of Christ. They will work my blood all the more. Be willing to suffer this treatment. Be willing also to labor alone. This was Paul's reality. He knew that that, that in his times of need, as he looked back, writing some of those final letters he writes to Timothy, he writes to him saying, everybody has abandoned me. And in fact, as we saw in the timeline of today's sermon, everybody was stripped off of Paul and he did not stop. Sometimes it's because other people want to pursue comfort. Sometimes it's because the situation demands it. But are you willing to labor alone if necessary? While others, maybe of your same age, while others enjoy all their free time, you sacrifice yours. While others focus on self-care and preservation, you focus on the care of others. Being so dependent on Jesus, so truly, independently, dependent on Jesus, that if God forbid, your brothers and sisters step away from you, are stripped away from you, and you're left alone, can you continue to labour by the Holy Spirit's power? I want to say thirdly, be willing, Christians who who wish to win souls, be willing to suffer anxiety for those that you love. An eternal love, born from God and poured out into our heart, will carry with it a heightened, eternal anxiety in a sense. Of course, if we want to be on such a a glorious mission, it will carry with it a glorious responsibility and weight that crushes us, destroys us, if we are not relying on Jesus. If we do not trust him as our shepherd, this weight of eternal souls who really are being stolen from life, going by droves into eternal destruction that will crush us if we are not fixing our eyes on Christ and trusting him as our shepherd. If you care for these souls, you will feel that heaviness as a mother and a father to them, as as Paul said he was to the Thessalonians. Expect a great anxiety that drives your prayer. Late at night, early in the morning, shedding tears, praying for souls. Expect that and glory in that. Lastly, be willing, Christians, to be put on the devil's list. Be willing to be put on the devil's list. As hard as you will labor for the glory of Christ, that is how hard you are going against the glory and kingdom of darkness ruled by Satan. And and the harder you work at that, the more successful and fruitful you are at that, the, the greater the opposition will come on you in your relationships. In your everyday inconveniences, in the attempts to distract you from mission, in the attempts to bring you into downfall through immorality and sin, reputation smearing, expect the opposition, the attack of Satan. Know that you are on his list, but take heart that you are in the book of the land. And no amount of opposition, though it frustrates, wears you down, no amount of opposition from the greatest of enemies will be able to end your work. For you are here for Christ, seeing his glory established and his gospel preached and his sheep returned home to their great shepherd of their souls. I want to just encourage at this moment that that the great burden on Paul is the same as the great burden on someone we refer to quite frequently, not apologetic but a missionary by the name of Adam Nairam Judson who did not go to Macedonia but who from America was sent back in the 1800s to India and then promptly to Burma, modern day Myanmar. It was just on <laughs> the uh, in contact just this last week with missionary brothers and pastors in Myanmar that we have a connection with. They're saved because of the labor of Judson. All those years ago, he, he went there. He labored about 38 years. He was a missionary until his death. He went in, in the youth of his life. He lost in his time there the life of two wives after Course. Married, she died. Married again, she died. Married again, he died before he could see her meet the same end as his previous two. He lost in that time between those three wives six of his children who died from diseases in the jungles of Myanmar. He buried six children there in Myanmar. He also spent 19 months in a a Burmese military prison, many nights hung up by his feet, being eaten by mosquitoes, bugs, and and jungle uh, uh, animals attacking him. But he wrote this. I'm I'm going to leave him with the last words in this sermon. He who knew that part of Paul who followed in the footsteps of Paul and who, because of his labor, today are three million plus Christians in Myanmar just 200 years later. I'm going to leave him with the last words as he puts forward a gospel call. He, he wrote it in this way. He said, he who is renewed, sorry, he who is unrenewed and therefore is not a disciple of Christ His and her sins are numerous and heavy, and because he has no regard to the Lord who can deliver from sin, he will, in the present life, obtain no refuge or resting place. But soul and body will fall into hell as his sins deserve, and having transgressed against an eternal God, he must accordingly forever suffer eternal misery. He who is renewed and becomes a disciple of Jesus Christ, however, in this present life, acquires a new and excellent nature and final salvation. And when he changes worlds from this to the next, his soul, having obtained the pardon of sin through the death of Christ, will, through the grace of God, enter into the divine presence. The body. Although it be burned with fire or consumed on this earth, and therefore destroyed for a time, will at the end of the world, by the power of God, with whom nothing is impossible, live again, and thus soul and body united will forever en- will forever enjoy eternal happiness in the presence of God. The commands of Jesus Christ are as follows: repent or be changed in your mind, that is, leave your old nature, cultivate the new. Have faith in the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, this great missionary wrote. Love God supremely. Love others as yourself. Set not your heart on worldly goods and riches, but look forward to and long for those riches which are free from defilement and eternal in the heavens. I share that call to you. If you are not in Christ, not sharing this glorious redemption and forgiveness of sins, which, which drives people like Paul and Judson and, and hopefully many of us to the ends of the world for the sake of salvation of others. If you don't know Jesus in this saving way, being freed from your sin, cleansed of your guilt, that friend, I call you. That all that is required of you, the only thing demanded of you, is something that is in fact no work on your part at all. Believe, simply believe that Jesus is that God-Man that we call Him. That He really did offer Himself up on the cross for your sins, that you might be saved to live an entirely new life. And to know God intimately in this life and in glory forever to come. Christian, that is our gospel. That is what we carry to the ends of the earth. That is the basis of your assurance. Jesus died, your soul to save, your sins to clear. Trust that. Father God, we thank you for the Gospel. We thank you for your Gospel minister in Paul, for this account of his, for this letter to the Christians, and for the example of the Thessalonians who followed him in that way. God, I thank you for the example of the many through church history, like Judson who went, who did not love their life even unto death, but by the blood of the Lamb. And the word of their testimony went and bore the gospel witness in foreign lands, even to the point of their martyrdom, suffering, and affliction. God, I pray that you would make us a church like this. But first, God, would you establish us in this gospel? Make us those who trust it with our all. Who treasure it above anything else, really, really, God? Treasure your Son Jesus in the Gospel above everything else, so that we would be willing to follow wherever you would call us. Bless these people, God, who love your Word. Secure them in assurance to believe your Gospel. Empower them in purified living who follow you, God. May your Spirit be at work at us this week. We love you praise you and glorify you in our majestic, glorious Redeemer. And everybody said, Amen. God bless This sermon was preached at Hope Reformed Baptist Church in Logan, Australia. For more information about our church, visit our website at hoperb.church. If you have been blessed, please leave us a review wherever you listen. We pray this message has been used by God to grow and encourage you in your Christian walk. Thank you for listening. Soli Deo Gloria.